0: Would you uh, please stand for the reading of God's word? Today's sermon comes out of the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered her house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning. Hey, will you join me in thanking David and Jason and the worship team for bringing us worship this morning? And then a special thank you that I forgot last week, Rick Stookie for leading us through communion. Thank you, Rick. Uh, I reached out to Rick, I said, I'm sorry, I forgot to thank you, and he said, it's okay, I just ignored the sermon, and so it was, I <laughs> went, touche, that's, that's fair, but we're even now, Rick, all right, listening today. Okay, so thank you for being here, whether it's your first time, and some of you, this is welcome back, because you went and bought three gallons of gas and drove to wherever that would get you, and, and you used your whole fireworks budget on that, it sounds like. So, uh, hey, two updates for you this morning. First, sorry, if it is your first time. I'm Nathan. I get to be the pastor here, and at some point would love to meet you, but thank you for joining us, both in person and those of you online. All right, two updates. First of all, um, the sheer number of you that reached out this week, um, okay, I appreciate this. Uh, Last week, I talked about this firework that we bought, okay? Uh, Just marketing alone. It was amazing. You'll see a picture of it here. It's called the neighbor hater, okay? And I'm just was 10 bucks. I mean, that's a third of a tank, a a gallon of gas right now. Okay. So I'm expecting really, really big things. And um, I'm not even going to show you the video because it was that pathetic. It was the neighbor giggle is what it ended up being. It was just, it was awful. It's just the worst. Okay. Second update. And this really leads us into what we're talking about this morning. As many of you know, we've been going through the gospel of Mark um, over quite a period of time, but um, this, this update may help us ease into that. So a a few weeks ago I told you our eight-year-old son Lincoln, his double-A baseball team won the Ken Carroll Little League Championship, okay? And so we were pumped. What I didn't share that day was the box score, okay? The final score was 15 to 14 on three hits and 22 walks, okay? That is how we we won the title. (laughs) Yeah, Lincoln was one of those hits. We were pumped. He's, he had been in a slump, and so there was no better time to, to be one of those hits. But it, this is just a league where at that age, the pitching is, um, it just needs some work, okay? It needs some development. And so getting to, fir- getting to first base is as good as a triple or even a home run in this league. And so that's how we got 15 to 14. But it reminded me of this story that I heard. This man is, is walking by a park, and he sees a, a Little League baseball game going on. So he walks up to the dugout, and he asks one of the boys sitting there, hey, uh, how's the game going? Like, what's the score? And the kid said, well, we're losing 18 to 0. And the guy said, oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's so, that's, I feel terrible for you. And the kid said, well, oh, it's fine. We're not up to bat yet. 18 nothing. And as I heard that story, I just went, that's the Christian life right there, isn't it? I mean, does, how many of you feel like you're just down 18 to nothing right now? Okay, three people are raising their hands. The rest of you are liars. Okay, so, but it can feel that way, can't it? You know, and, and sometimes, sometimes God does this thing where we, he, he answers our prayers, and, and, and you come back, and then sometimes it gets worse, and you lose 72 to 4 or whatever, and, and it's just how it can go at times. I mean, we've all gone through those times. And many of us, what we do is we look around and, and you maybe hear people talk about this relationship with God and you think, well, what are they doing different? You know, are they somehow more faithful? Are they somehow more obedient? Are they more blessed? Are they like God's favorite in some way? And, and we can look at ourselves and we do this comparison thing, right? We, we know eyes right here, but we, we look a lot here, don't we? And we compare and we play that comparison game and, and it can really throw us. And it can shake, it can be a very faith-shaking thing. And we can begin to misinterpret the character of God a lot of times. And if that describes you, I need you to know that for every single one of those stories, there, there, there's somewhere in the journey that is full of obstacles to approaching God. And, and it's full of obstacles to faith. In fact, if that describes you, I want to introduce you this morning to a woman. We find her in Mark chapter 7. Okay, and this woman's story, when, you, when we read it and as we go through it, as David just read it, when you begin to look at the context of her story, you just go, oh my goodness, this lady wasn't just losing 18 nothing. I mean, she was losing like a thousand to nothing over and over and over. And I believe as you look at her story, you see some obstacles that are just so, so, so familiar. A couple millenniums later still so familiar to us. And so with that, let's dive in. And I want to I walk through this passage and unearth some of these obstacles. So Mark chapter seven, we're in verse 24. It says, Jesus left that place where he had been and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now, the thing you got to know about Tyre is Tyre was not viewed favorably. I mean, Tyre was in this region called Sidon. And in Sidon, you just did not associate the people of Sidon with, with God at all. There were Gentiles, you know, and, and while the Jews said, yeah, we've got the God thing handled, these guys were just considered outcasts. You know, God couldn't possibly be doing anything in this region. Mark continues, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. And all the introverts in here right now are like, Amen. Like Jesus, you and I get each other. You just you're having one of those days, right? It just did not want any anybody to know where he was. Verse twenty five. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now I want you to stop and just look at these couple of verses. I mean, you could not create a longer list of things working against her. First, a woman, right? We've talked about that before. A woman in that day and age, they were not highly esteemed by the culture at large. They just weren't. And so here you have this woman whose little daughter is possessed by an impure spirit. She's just dealing with this day in and day out. See, we, we drop in on it, right? We're, we're going to hear about it for the next three hours of a sermon. No, 30 minutes of a sermon here, right? I promise it's just 30 minutes, okay. And, and, but she's living with this minute by minute, hour by hour over days and weeks. I mean, this is her life. So a woman dealing with a daughter with an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. And it says she was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. In other words, she wasn't Jewish. She wasn't the kind of person that as you hear Jesus talk, in the Gospels, he references, as he's going to in just a little bit here, he came to the lost sheep of Israel, the Jews who had been scattered, the Jews who had rejected God, who had run abroad. In other words, she's just not even on the radar as you look at her situation. And finally, she begged. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Begged. Have you ever had to Beg you ever had somebody beg you? I mean, it just, it's so hard to watch and it's so hard to go through if, you, if you've had to do it, isn't it? And see, this is actually already one of those obstacles to faith that we have. It's one of those obstacles to approaching God that every single one of us has because we, we can focus on these things, can't we? You know, it, she, she seems like the wrong person with the wrong background, with a terrible situation, in the wrong place, approaching Jesus at the wrong time. He doesn't want to be discovered in the moment. He was hoping to keep his, his uh, presence secret. And if you, if you grabbed the sermon notes on the way in, that first blank, one of those first obstacles is when we're staring at unfavorable conditions. When we're staring at unfavorable conditions. And you've been there, and I've been there, where it's just not ideal. You never would have planned it that way. You, if you had gotten up and had the choice, you, you would not have chosen for your day, your week, that year of life to go that way. <clears throat> now, it, it's interesting because this same account is found in the book of Matthew. Okay? And Matthew, if you were to jump over to this exact moment in the book of Matthew, Matthew adds a little detail that Mark, and, and many believe much of Mark's gospel, he got from the disciple Peter. Matthew's going to add in a little detail that Mark and Peter, I think when you read this, you'll go, why'd you bring that up? Like this did not help the cause, Matthew. Here's what Matthew has to say. Matthew chapter 15, verse 23. Jesus, after she begged him, did not answer a word. And at this point, I don't know how it worked. But later, when, when maybe everybody was reading the manuscripts in, in eternity, I can imagine Mark and Peter and Matthew sitting there going through this and them going, why would you say that? Like, th- this did not help anything, Matthew. And, and the thing you have to begin to think about is who Matthew was. What was Matthew? Yeah, he was a tax collector. And what do tax collectors care about? Money? Here, think IRS. What does the IRS care about? Money, okay. And every little detail, don't they? Yeah, has anybody in here been audited before? Yeah, they care about every little detail. And here's how I learned this. I I did my undergrad. I got an, an accounting degree here in the area. And I remember being in class with accounting students, and inevitably, there was always a group project. And this is how I learned I shouldn't be an accountant because I got put in a group with with people that were wired to be accountants. You know what they cared about? Every little detail. And so we worked out an arrangement. I went, tell you what, you guys do all the research, I'll give the presentation. And they were like, perfect. So the day of, they'd go, hey, you're going to need to say this and this and this and this. And, and I just, that's when I kind of like went, okay, no, y- your part's over, okay? See how the professor's been falling asleep every single presentation? It's because nobody's, nobody's engaged her, okay? So I'll take care of the presentation. You guys did the research, but, but we, we just cut out like all the details. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to like her grandchildren and her children, and we're going to make her cry and do an altar call by the end of this, this presentation, okay? It's going to be, it's just going to be incredible. And, um, but one of the things I just learned as I went through this accounting degree is that the accountant mind, it's that left brain, right? It just captures the details. Now, why this detail, Matthew? Jesus remained silent. Here's a woman clearly in need. I mean, we've walked through Mark up to this point. There's like no situation Jesus can't and won't step into and have a heart for and even work in. So why would you say he's silent, Matthew? And this is where I I dig into Matthew's story even a little bit more. Because there were a couple categories. Remember, you'll read this phrase as you go through the Gospels. There were sinners and tax collectors, okay? It was like sinner was here and tax collectors right here. I mean, it just was awful. You know, this is how they were referred to. Even the Pharisees, when they were repulsed by who Jesus would spend time with, they'd go, he even eats with sinners and even tax collectors. And Matthew, having been a tax collector, you know why I think he included that detail? Because I think he understood that before he met Jesus, God seemed to not have a word to say to him. Like, would you have anything to do with me? And so Matthew says, yeah. Jesus remained silent. When, when you're looking at him from a distance, it can be very easy to feel like he has nothing to say to you. Anybody, some of you in here right now, I've just had a few conversations the last few weeks. You feel like God has not a word to say right now, don't you? And it can really become an obstacle. And that's that next blank on your sermon notes. When God seems quiet, it can become an obstacle to faith, can't it? Now, Matthew's like, I'm not even done yet. This is about to get a whole lot worse for you, Mark and Peter and the rest of the disciples. Listen to what he says here. So... his disciples came to him and urged him, not just suggest, urged him, send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. In other words, she's just, ew, Jesus. Like, send her away. Move on from her. And at this point, I just imagine Mark and Peter looking at Matthew like, you are the worst. You're just the worst. This is why nobody's ever going to like IRS tax collectors forever in the future, right? Because Why would you include that, Matthew? I mean, it was already bad enough. Why would you highlight that? That the disciples urged her to go. Because remember, this is a time where Jesus is beginning to bring the disciples in on the ministry they'd seen him carrying out. And so this could very well be the first time they've come up against this situation. And oftentimes when we come up against a situation, we don't know what to do. We just go, oh. Let's, get, let's run from it. Let's get away from it. <clears throat> and I can't help thinking Matthew just went, listen, if I'm going to forever be remembered as a tax collector, you guys are going down with me. You're going to be seen as people wanting to send her away. But listen, this is another one of those obstacles. When we're looking at unfavorable conditions, when God seems quiet, and when people say quit. I don't mean like they verbally look at you and they say quit, but you look around and maybe for you, it's you look at the people of God or you look at Jesus' followers and you've been so turned off by how they've behaved. You just can't believe that they would act in such a way. And you've thought, that's enough reason for me. That's enough reason. That's a big enough obstacle that I don't think I can approach God. And you'd have a point. You would. I mean, this was no way for men to treat a lady it's no way for, for disciples to treat somebody who's seeking. And it's no way for Christians to treat anybody. But it happens, doesn't it? Doesn't How many people have you heard? Well, I knew a Christian. And they were like this. And they were like this. And that's enough evidence for me. And what they overlook is the Savior who's standing right there. Who's so much bigger than any person's failure. But I'm telling you, the next set of blanks. That when when the conditions aren't favorable and when God seems quiet, people say quit. When these obstacles show up, faith can get fragile, can't it? It can absolutely get fragile. And here's what happens when your faith is fragile. You tend to begin to interpret the character of God in a way that just isn't true. We begin to look at God and we go, is that how you are? I mean, despite everything you've known, you could, you could be walking with Jesus for decades and decades and decades, but one of, one of these obstacles comes up. You know what we do? Uh, is, is that your character, God? And we can misinterpret everything he does and everything he says, including what he says next. And Jesus does not help the situation here. He's about to pour gasoline on the fire when you read it. Listen to, listen to this. <clears throat> This is uh, Mark, back to Mark, chapter 7, verse 27. First, let the, little, let the children eat all they want. This is a reference to the, the Jews, the lost sheep of Israel he'd come for. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Okay, you don't call a lady a dog in America in 2022. So, Jesus, what is going on here? What are you doing? And here's the thing you got to know. Anytime we read a tone onto Jesus through the lens of our personal experience, anytime we put something on him that doesn't align with his character throughout God's word, that is our issue, not his. That is absolutely our issue, not his. And this is where the Greek actually helps us out. We don't see this in our English translations of this passage. See, when you dive into the Greek, there, there are a couple uses you see the word dog throughout, the, throughout uh, the Bible in a few different ways. But in the New Testament, there are two references using the word dog. Okay, now one, it's a Greek word for like scavenger, filthy, dirty, the, the, just this mutt. It's just out scavenging, okay? That is not the word Jesus used here. Jesus, if you were to look at the Greek word that he used here, it would equate to, in English, the little puppies. Okay, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the little puppies. Okay, and there, there's something where suddenly you go, oh, okay, wait a second. So, so even though I'm looking at unfavorable conditions and God, you seem so quiet and people have just made me want to quit, you don't see me like a, like a dog? You see me like a puppy? Does that change things for you? Just a little bit? I mean, I know, I know some, some in here, you're sitting in a situation and, and you, you haven't gotten the answer you're looking for. But if you knew that Jesus, as he looked at this woman who wasn't even like in the focus, when you think about the people he came for at first, would that change your perception of you and your perception of him? And maybe even your perception of your situation? That he looks at you and he thinks and he sees a puppy. Now, what do we know about puppies? Right? I mean, just think about a puppy right now. Yeah, everybody's starting to pant and you're starting to smile a little bit right now. Yeah. Um, well, at least that's what I do when I think of a puppy. I start getting this. Okay, anyway. That's a different, different message for a different time. But what we do is you begin to see him a little bit differently. And you begin to interpret his character a little bit differently. And so this woman, what she says next reveals what the response of faith looks like even when you're staring at unfavorable conditions when God seems quiet and people make you want to quit. <clears throat> Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumb. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. But you want to know what jumped out to me so quickly? Was the first word she said. In the midst of unfavorable conditions, God seems so quiet, and people could, I mean, that experience could make anybody want to quit. She said, Lord. Is he Lord? Is he Lord in the middle of all those obstacles? Was he at one time Lord, but you've wondered? Maybe you've wondered about his character because it's just been so long since you've had an answer. <clears throat> See, what, what faith says is that, listen, I know all you need, Lord, are crumbs to create something here. That's all you need, <clears throat> and especially in America, right? In America, crumbs are a crisis. You know, we, we want anything but crumbs. And yet faith says, no, crumbs are exactly where he starts. Exactly where it starts. Next set of blanks. Faith doesn't see crumbs as a crisis, but instead sees an opportunity for Jesus to create from. Maybe it helps if, if you get, a, a, and, and I've shared this with you before, but if we get a bit of an illustration of what it looks like. Okay, this is Alfie, all right? This is our puppy that we got at Christmas, all right? So Alfie is, um, he's a delight. He's an absolute delight. Here's the thing. You got to keep in mind, he's a puppy. All right? Let me tell you objectively about Alfie. He is useless in terms of just objective functional work. Right? I mean, we know not to come home and be like, Alfie, why why isn't the dishwasher unloaded? You didn't vacuum. You haven't done anything. You're not pulling your weight around here. No, we don't look at him that way. We don't look at, I can say this because he's not watching right now. I, I don't think anyway, all right? But he's just, we look at him and we know. I, I'm not expecting him to do anything to be able to help me out. And so when Jesus looks at this woman and he says, look, it wouldn't be right to take the children's bread and give it to the puppies. You know what he's actually saying? There's a delight. There's, there's an acknowledgement that there is nothing 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 you or i can do to help him out to somehow bolster what it is he's doing but instead he looks at us with delight doesn't he nothing but delight and that begins to change some things and so this woman if she says this you know what she noticed She noticed Mark chapter 7 verse 24, the first word, first verse we read. And if you're on our weekly email list, you got this in the email list last week. But Mark chapter 7 verse 24, come back to it. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. You know what that means? It means even if you wanted to, his nature, his character, his heart, he can't hide it. And this woman latched onto that she said you can't hide from me and i know you're not trying to avoid me but this was such a faith building moment for her that in the middle of unfavorable conditions and god seeming quiet and people making her want to quit possibly she went i know i know the heart of jesus is just as strong it's just as robust even now here's what she knew and here's what's at the bottom of your page of your notes Jesus answers, Jesus answers, crumb-sized faith with God-sized favor. And watch how he does it for her. Verse 29, then he told her, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, Matthew, he says it this way. Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. So you know what you got to know right now, if you're in the middle of some unfavorable conditions or if you've been asking and asking and asking and asking and he just seems so quiet or if all you can focus on are the people to the left and right that claim to be followers of Jesus but they they just make you want to quit, you got to know that Jesus answers crumb-sized faith with God-sized favor. Yes, we're like little dogs. You know what Alfie does more than anything? He sits at the table while we eat dinner and he just waits. He's not looking to do chores or anything like that. He just wants the scraps. And you know what? For him, actually not for him, the the crumbs are enough, at least for us, for this woman, right? Not for the dogs. But anyway, it just, it, it begins to shift your perspective when you know, despite all appearances, Jesus, I know your heart is right here. And you got to remember that. Now, what does that translate into? Because I know some of you could say, well, listen, Nathan, her situation, God God fixed it. What about me? What about mine? And for this, I'd send you to Luke chapter 11. Please go look at it this week. Jesus is talking about how to pray there. He says, suppose one of you has has a friend that's coming to visit you and you go to your neighbor because you want to have food to provide your friend. You go to him at midnight and you're knocking and knocking and knocking and say, hey, I need food because I have a friend coming to visit me. And suppose that neighbor said, look, I'm in bed, I'm with my children. I can't get up to give you anything right now. Jesus says, yet because of your shameless audacity, because of your persistence, that neighbor will get up and give you some food. That's what your heavenly father is like. And then he translates it. He says, so keep going. Ask him. Seek him. Knock. Keep knocking. Because when he answers, he answers, maybe he'll work in the situation, but he always gives his spirit. In Luke chapter 11, that's where Jesus takes it. He may not change your situation right now, but he will always work in the heart and pour out his spirit. Now, we get used to praying for this on kind of a seasonal basis when like a crisis comes up, right? And yet I'd say the more and more I engage with this, this is an everyday thing. This is why I'm so big on getting Sunday, what happens on Sunday into Monday. Because when he pours out his spirit, then Sunday, what happens here should make it into Monday. And we should get to Wednesday and we should still be able to carry the weight well on Wednesday and show up on Friday and still be overflowing. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And Jesus says, just ask him. Just ask him. If you come to him with crumb-sized faith, he'll answer with God-sized favor. And I'm telling you, it will shift everything about how you look at people. One story and I'm done. One of the things I I see, or one of the places I see this play out constantly is across generations. You know, there's this interesting thing. I I have my... um, I have my grandpa's words in my, in my brain. He, he, one time we were, we were younger and we were visiting them in Nebraska. And I remember he just, he was watching the news and he said this familiar term. He said, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. And I was like, okay, I, I don't know what you mean by that. Grandpa just said a bad word. That was, that was all I could think. But I've, I've heard that said over and over. And, and I remember him thinking like, if, if we had a hard time with this, the younger generations, ugh, it's just going to be tough. You know, it's just, it's just going to go in this downward direction. And, and as I thought about that, I thought, if, if there's any place that we ought to be able to look at what God is up to, and, and even if all we see are crumbs and everything's just crummy and crummy and everything's awful everywhere, yes, pun intended, but what would happen What would happen if we went, all you need are crumbs, Lord? If the older generations, if you could look at the younger generations and go, okay, wow, it's a mess around here. It is an absolute mess when you turn on the news, when you open up social media. But I know, I know that Jesus creates from the crumbs. And younger generations— Do you know the older generations actually know a thing or two about what you're going through? Maybe not everything. I know it's crazy. I didn't realize this until I was 37, but it turns out, yeah, they do. They absolutely do. What if you could look at the older generations and go, oh, my goodness. Maybe Jesus wants to bring something through that. You know what I think that would do? That would begin to bring us closer together. Many of you know Dale and Bev Teeters here in the church. They're part of our best years yet ministry here. And Jacob Johnston, he's part of our, um, he's, he was part of like the college age and the young adult ministry. Actually, he's been part of like 20 ministries here. I've never seen anything like it. But Jacob actually, when he first showed up here, it was not because another young adult invited him, somebody his demographic, his, his age, or anything like that. You want to know who brought him? Dale and Bev Teeters. And they see this young guy, and, and, and if I get the story wrong, I'm going off memory from a while ago. They see Jacob, and I don't know if it was car troubles or if he was just out on a walk, and they pulled over and said, do you want a ride to church? And then and so first you go, what? You just pulled over? I mean, he could have robbed you. Have you guys seen Jacob? He just... I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, who knows? How many of us pull up next to a stranger today? And ask a question like that. And then Jacob looks at them and he says, yes. And he gets in the car. Have you seen Dale and Bev Teeters? They could have kidnapped him. No. (laughs) That's how he showed up at church. Because one generation looked at another and that generation looked at them and went, okay. It may look like crumbs, but I know Jesus starts right there. That's just one application of how this can work. But I encourage you, go back through this this week and read through it and see what he illuminates to you. Because we have a Savior. As the worship team comes back up, we have a Savior who answers crumb-sized faith with God-sized favor. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. That as we look around the world, it would be so easy to just hone in on unfavorable conditions. And it'd be so easy to go, Lord, where are you at? You seem so quiet right now. And there are so many loud voices trying to drown you out. Or we may just be looking left and right and, and, and just feeling like quitting because of people, because of flesh and blood. And yet you remind us that underneath and in the midst of all of it, you are right there doing exactly what you've always done, is bringing life, no matter who we are You love the great response of faith that looks at you and says, even in the midst of all this, I know this is not a crisis. This is an opportunity for you to create. And so write that on our hearts. Show us in a concrete way how that looks in our lives. Not just this week, but in the weeks, months, years to come. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week.